Are you being sued over PFAS contamination? Don't expect your insurance company to help you pay the legal costs, at least not willingly. Today we're talking about insurers and PFAS and why getting coverage for these chemicals may soon be impossible. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. So if an insurance company just approved every single claim that its policyholders filed, it wouldn't stay in business very long. They don't win any friends by doing this, but insurers have to reject some claims. And that's when the lawsuits can happen. Policyholders suing the insurers, or as you'll soon learn, sometimes the other way around. Bloomberg Law correspondent Daphne Jong is reporting on one of these situations, and it involves PFAS, a type of chemical that's been in the news a lot lately. PFAS are used in everything from nonstick pans to firefighting foam, and they've earned the nickname Forever Chemicals because of their extreme resistance to breaking down in the environment. At this point, there have been thousands, literally thousands, of PFAS lawsuits filed all across the country, but surprisingly, only a small handful are over an insurer denying a PFAS claim. Daphne told me that's about to change, and she explained what we can learn from the few insurance lawsuits that have already been filed. So there are around 10 PFAS insurance lawsuits across eight states, and most of them are brought by insurers, but some are brought by policyholders. Policyholder can be a manufacturer or a company or any kind of business in the supply chain who are facing PFAS-related lawsuits. So what these insurance lawsuits are, are ins- an insurer may deny coverage or deny, refuse to defend a company who is facing a PFAS lawsuit and then sue the policyholder in the courthouse, saying, asking the court to declare that they don't have a duty to defend the policyholder in the PFAS lawsuits. Before we go any further, I just, you know, this may be a standard practice in, in insurance law, but... That's got to feel pretty bad is when you you file a claim with your insurer and not only does the insurer deny your claim, but then they sue you. That's that's pretty rough. It is. It's actually really interesting. That's what um, a lot of companies are actually facing this kind of things like you are sandwiched between multiple lawsuits. You know, you are sued by by consumers or residents or or underlying plaintiff saying your products is defective. And on the other hand, you are sued by your insurer saying there's no coverage, even though you bought the policy. But insurers, they, they need to think about protecting their business as well to make sure, you know, like the, you know, they need to keep making profits. And PFAS is a huge exposure. It's prevalent. It's everywhere. And there has already been millions of dollars of settlements that companies have paid. And insurers, clear, clearly, they don't want to be part of the picture of that. So... There are five rulings out of the 10 cases so far about the insurer's duty to defend. And among them, um, Michigan, North Carolina, and Texas have said the insurer have to defend their policyholders in the PFA lawsuits. Well, New York said the opposite. There's one insurance lawsuit in particular that you wrote about that I want to get into, and it was in Ohio. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what was going on there? So it was an insurance company who sued its policyholder. The policyholder is a firefighting gear equip, equipment maker. What, what happened was Firedex faced four lawsuits from firefighters and uh, their spouses. The firefighters and their spouses alleged that they developed cancer after they used the, the gear. And the insurer denied coverage of these lawsuits so that the insurer refused to defend 
the policyholder in the lawsuit and then sue the policyholder. Well, you know, sticking with the Ohio lawsuit here, the other interesting aspect is what the court did here. Uh, can you talk about this? I've never heard of a court doing this. Yeah, it is really interesting. The court says, you know, I can't decide this because there are not enough state case laws for me to rule on this issue. So what happened was the court says whether PFAS lawsuit is covered or not is a novel insurance issue that requires a state high court guidance. So it, it says this case belongs to the Ohio Supreme Court. So this comes down to what insurance law basically is. Insurance law is basically a matter of state law, like insurance are governed by different state insurance commissioners. So when the federal court, when they decide on certain things, they look for case laws um, within the state. And here the Ohio court says, you know, we don't have anything. And the fact that one of the sources told me the fact that the Ohio court declined to, to rule on the issue really shows how novel and complicated the PFAS insurance question is. That was was really remarkable to me because, you know, of all the, you know, we, we cover judges and the judiciary here a lot on, on this podcast. And of all the, the judges that I've spoken to and read about and met, um, they all seem to have a very high level of confidence in their ability to resolve disputes. So for a judge to say, I just don't know how to decide this is really surprising to me. Yeah, but that seems to be what the, the policyholders want the most. You know, if a judge says, I can't decide, if a federal judge says, I can't decide this, this needs to go to uh, state court. To some extent, the policyholder win a lot because a lot of times state courts have a reputation to be friendlier to policyholders compared with federal courts. If you look at the, those big COVID insurance fights, a big effort of most policyholder attorneys most businesses' attorneys, is to try to get the case shift to state courts. So that is really interesting that the court actually says, let's wait what the uh, state high court says about this and establish a standard, and then we can come back to this. Okay, let's get into this distinction about, you know, is PFAS a pollutant? Uh, you know, because it sounds like that is a pretty important distinction here for these cases. Can you Get into that a little bit more and why this question exists and, and what the stakes are here. So right now, what a lot of times what policyholders and insurers are fighting about is what PIFA is and what qualifies as a pollutant. So a lot of these insurance policy, the general, po the general liability policies have a pollution exclusion. So that the policy covers bodily injury or property damage against companies, but then they don't cover anything relating to pollution. On the other hand, policyholders are saying, I'm a manufacturer and I made these non-stick pens and I faced lawsuits from consumers saying, you know, you didn't tell us that this cookware contains PFAS. And then policyholders are saying, this is product liability claim. The, like the lawsuits I'm facing, it's alleging defective products that I should have that, you know, they're saying they, the consumers should have been warned about the danger of PFAS. There's nothing about pollution. Or even though there is something about pollution, this underlying lawsuit is not all about pollution. So as an insurer, you, you just cannot rely on the pollution exclusion to deny coverage. And what is interesting is like, even though the general idea could be, you know, we know PFAS is a chemical, it you know, has some contaminating ability, but if the insurance contract didn't 
specifically say PIFA is a pollutant in the policy, then there could be like a huge gateway for better ground because as insurance is a matter of contract law. If the contract, if the insurance contract didn't say PFAS is a pollutant excluded by the policy, and then there's a lot to fight about whether an insurer can use a general pollution exclusion to deny coverage. So it sounds like other than in New York, uh, the insurance industry has not seen a lot of victory here. Another aspect of this that you pointed out in your story is that it sounds like new policies that insurers are issuing have very specific language in it that says PFAS is not included in this this coverage. And as one of your sources pointed out, that kind of implies that it was covered in the past. Can you get into to that angle there? Yes, it's really interesting. You know, insurers learned their, their lesson. So now, of course, they are for all the, the new policies, policy renewals, they are saying PFAS is not covered. And this is one of the, the um, common arguments for from policyholders. They are saying, if now you have a specific PFAS exclusion, then that means all the other exclusions just are defective. They don't work. Because if the policy terms are ambiguous, courts are supposed to rule in favor of the policyholders. So now the, policy, the companies and the businesses are saying, now you have this clearer version of PFAS exclusion. Well, and now you're arguing your ambiguous pollution exclusion Steel bars coverage, this cannot be like that. This doesn't work. That leads me into the last thing I wanted to ask you about, which is the future, You know where we're heading. Um, and you have uh, an interesting section in your story about whether PFAS is the next asbestos. That's a phrase that we've actually heard a lot in uh, when people are talking about PFAS. And specifically, the, where I want to make the comparison between PFAS and asbestos is that you know, it's pretty clear that if you're an insurer, you don't want to have anything to do with asbestos. You know, you want to avoid it at all costs. Is that where we're heading with PFAS, where it'll be almost impossible to insure yourself against PFAS-related claims and PFAS-related litigation? That's what I heard from brokers and attorneys and also insurers. It's just if your site has already been impacted by PFAS or if you already face claims about something about your product, or your your supply chain, even your supply chain release PFAS into the groundwater, it's done, it's too late, you can't get any PFAS coverage. But if a company can prove that your products and your site have never been impacted by PFAS, there's still a chance you can get some environment policies. And insurers are making sure that different kind of policies, like directors and officers and liability policies have specific uh, restrictions that don't cover PFAS. On the other hand, um, there's this insurance company I spoke to, Zurich, North, North America. Come, some insurance company like that, they are just not being silent. They are doing something about PFAS. While they didn't want to talk about you know, coverage position because that de- depends on the specific um, policyholder situation and the underlying suit, some insurance companies like Zurich, they are working with policyholders on risk management. For example, they are offering like um, risk analysis about how to manage the PIFA in your supply chain during the underwriting process. Like when companies are applying for insurance, they're also offering this kind of risk management service to long-term customers. That makes that makes me think of like a health insurer trying to get you to exercise or you know, stop smoking or something like that. That's That sounds very similar. 
Exactly. I mean, it's like a win-win situation. Of course, you know, insurers want to do that. Companies want to do that. I mean, some people are still hopeful. Some some people are saying, like, maybe in the future, insurers will design a specific PFAS insurance policy that only covers PFAS, but it would just be extremely expensive. Well, you know, nobody in the industry knows whether there is a PFAS-specific insurance policy or not, but there still will be an appetite because of so many PFAS lawsuits and so many companies are are facing this exposure right now. Yeah, it seems like, you know, that's kind of the old adage is that you can insure anything you want, uh, just at what price, I guess. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You just jump yeah. up the rate, just bump up the rates. Yeah. All right, well, that was uh, Daphne Zhang uh, speaking with us about PFAS and insurance. Uh, thank you so much for talking. That was great. Thank you for having me. That'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court, the filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Bloomberg Law's Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon of the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.